that offertory this morning, the orchestra, and the song was talking about the faithfulness of God to us, and I am so thankful for His faithfulness, amen? But I'm also thankful for the faithfulness of you in the church, all of you musicians, and all of you who labor, the sound man is always faithfully there, the guys standing at the door, the security teams, um, just thank you for your faithfulness. Uh, that is a blessing uh, to me, and um, I know to this church a lot of things that just happen. Uh, they're always there, and they're always there because someone's always faithful to do it behind the scenes. And we come in, we take it for granted. It just is the way it is, but somebody had to do it, and somebody works. And if it wasn't for the faithfulness, we would notice. It was like, hey, how come this isn't done? But we take that for granted because it's always there. And that is a, a blessing uh, to me, and it just, it just struck me as I was reading the words of the song of the faithfulness of God, and, and uh, it's God's faithfulness that helps us to be faithful. Amen. Amen. So, just wanted to say that. I appreciate you very much as your pastor. All right, take your Bibles, turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Last time we were... Here in John chapter 12, of course, we've been working our way through this entire gospel. I think we're, um, we're about halfway through, I suppose. Uh, we've been here for almost, I think, 40, 40 weeks already uh, in this gospel, and we've got several more to go. But last time we were here in John chapter 12, we, we really focused in on verses 23 through 26, and our text for today um, is going to be verses 27 down through the end of the chapter. We'll not obviously get all the way through that, uh, but it's all one section. And so we'll read that. And technically, verse 23 uh, is included and following is included in this whole section. So let's just go back to verse 23 and start there and just follow along as I read. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven, saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it and said that it thundered. Others said, An angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. The people answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And how sayest thou, The Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. 
For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed, and did hide himself from them. Now, the rest of the chapter is still dealing with this same context, and so we'll not take the time to read all of that. I'll just stop at verse 36 there, because that's where we're going to stop today. But I needed to let you know that uh, the rest of this passage, Jesus is preoccupied with, with one thing. That one thing is his death. And so from ver- verses 23 to verse 50, uh, basically covers Jesus' last public teaching. And as he is teaching, in his public teaching, Jesus concentrates on, on four major themes regarding the cross, because the cross is imminent. If you understand the whole context here, the cross is only four days away. The rest of the chapters of John deal with Jesus uh, preparing his disciples and then deal with the events of his crucifixion, his death, his resurrection, and so on. And so all of this, all of this, is, it's, it, John crams a lot of stuff in these last chapters, really uh, at the very tail end of Jesus' life. And the rest of this passage here, like I said, is Jesus' last public teaching. And in his teaching, he, he concentrates on four major things regarding the cross. And this morning, we're going to look at the necessity of the cross. We're going to look at the anguish of the cross, the master principle of the cross, and then fourthly, the triumph of the cross. And I'm going to preach to you this morning on this subject, if I be lifted up. Let's pray, and then we'll begin. Lord, I pray that you would use the Word of God today uh, to speak to hearts and Father, we're thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ. We're thankful, Lord, for the purpose of sending him into this world, that he would become a sacrifice for our sin. And Father, we praise you for the perfect plan of God in eternity past. And Lord, that we can know eternal life. We can know the forgiveness of sins. We can know peace with God because of Jesus Christ and what he's done. Lord, I pray that you'd use your word today. And for the one, or two, or three, Lord, only you know the hearts of men. Father, for those that are not saved here today, would you draw them? As Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And Lord, may you be glorified in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Consider, first of all, with me the necessity of the cross. Again, the context here, Jesus is talking about, and he's focused on what's coming. Four days away, the cross the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he teaches, Jesus draws out some of these principles. And first of all, let's talk about the necessity of the cross. In verse 27, Jesus says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Here I find the necessity of the cross. Notice that Jesus says, For this cause came I unto this hour. In other words, it means the very reason, the very reason for this cause, the reason that I came into this world, the very reason I came into this world was to go to the cross. 
The very reason for coming uh, as a man was to die. And you know what? Uh, uh, when Christmas time rolls around, it's a joyful time, certainly. And we rejoice over the birth of our Savior. We talk a lot about how, how Jesus came into this world. And we talk about the angels and the wise men and, and the place of His birth and all of those things. And it's a joyful time for us. But we also need to understand that the message of Christmas is more about the shadow of the cross. Even as he came into this world, the shadow of the cross was already there. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, if you turn over there with me, Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll be back here to Hebrews a few different times. So maybe just hold your place in Hebrews too, uh, as well as our text. But in Hebrews 10 and verse 5, the Bible says, Wherefore, when he cometh into this world... He saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. When he comes into the world, it's, uh, the, the reason, the body that he gave uh, the Lord Jesus Christ had a purpose, a reason. And it was part of God's plan for the redemption of mankind. This was God's plan for the redemption of mankind. The reconciliation of man, the remission of sin. This was God's plan to give him a body because he was going to go to the cross. The Bible says in Hebrews 9 and verse 22, just look back one chapter, Hebrews 9, 22, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood and without shedding of blood is no remission. Without shedding of blood is no remission. God's plan for the redemption of mankind included and needed to be the blood of Jesus Christ. Adam's sin, in the very beginning, plunged the entire human race into sin and separated us from God. God wanted a, a perfect relationship with His creation, but Adam's sin plunged the entire human race into sin and separated us from God. Romans 5.12 teaches us that wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Romans 3.23 All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It is sin that has separated us from our Creator. And the only way for that sin to be remitted was through the shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. The only way to be reconciled to God was through the shedding of blood. And somebody might say, well, what about all those Old Testament sacrifices that the nation of Israel would put forth? Well, go back to Hebrews chapter 10 again. And we read verse... Five, but he, let's go back to verse 1 and read through some of Hebrews 10 here. Verse 1 says, For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually make the comers thereunto perfect. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying that the sacrifices of the law are insufficient. And the comers, year by year, it could never make them perfect. And then he says in verse 2, For then 
would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshipers once purged should have no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into this world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me, in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sins thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. In other words, he's saying, it was the will of God from the very beginning that Jesus Christ would come into this world, a body would be given him, and he would be the Lamb of God, which would take away the sin of the world. Those Old Testament sacrifices, the blood of bulls and of goats, were insufficient. They could never take away sin. Now you go back to our text in John chapter 12, and Jesus talks about what comes forth out of death. In verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Jesus is talking about himself here. And his death, that it would bring forth much fruit. The fruit would be the redemption of mankind. And what I'm saying is that the only way for God's plan of redemption to be fulfilled was for Jesus to go to the cross. This was his plan from eternity past. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by traditions from your fathers. What he's saying here is you can't buy your salvation. You're not able to work for your salvation. You're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. From your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, you're not able to work for your salvation. But here's how you are redeemed. With the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by Him do believe in God that raised Him up from the dead, and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. The Word of God tells us that God had this plan before the foundation of the world, that Jesus Christ would be the Lamb of God that would take away sin. And what I'm saying is there was a necessity of the cross. This is why Jesus said in the garden when he was praying to his father, he said, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way for sin to be forgiven, if there's any other way for man to be reconciled to God, let's do that. If there's any possible way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. It was the will of God. And there was no other way. There was a necessity of the cross. And Jesus said, for this cause, 
came I unto this hour. This is the reason I came into the world. That leads to the second thought here this morning. Go back to our text. And I want you to look at verse 27 again. The second thought is the anguish of the cross. The anguish of the cross. Jesus says in verse 27, Now is my soul troubled. Now is my soul troubled. It means, that phrase means, that it's stirred up, that it's agitated. And even though it was necessary that Jesus would go to the cross, Jesus says, my soul is stirred up. My soul is agitated. It's troubled. Why is his soul troubled? Some people think that while Jesus was about to face crucifixion, the most horrible kind of death a person could die, torturous and so on, the pain and the agony. A lot of people try to say that and think that, but I don't think that that's what it is. I think it went beyond the physical and the emotional agony that awaited Jesus just days away. When Jesus says, my soul is troubled, it's the result of what he was about to do. He was about to bear the weight of the sin of the whole world as the sinless Son of God. He's God in the flesh. He's pure. He's sinless. He's holy. And the Bible says that God is of purer eyes that He cannot even behold sin. And yet here is the sinless Son of God who's about to take the weight of the sin of the world on Himself. He abhors it. And He says, my soul is troubled. It's an anguish. It's stirred up. It's agitated. Because of what He was about to do. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. What a wonderful exchange was made when Jesus went to the cross. The one who knew no sin was made to be sin for me, and I was made the righteousness of God in Him. And the very next verse, excuse me, not the very next verse, another passage, 1 John 3 and verse 5 says, And ye know that He was manifested. The reason He was, uh, was, came into this world, He was manifested to take away our sins. And in Him is no sin. The anguish of the cross was not the pain and the agony and the emotional Burdens that he would bear, the anguish of the cross was that the sin of the world would be on the sinless Son of God. And here's the application that I want to make with this. And you need to understand this. We all need to understand this. That God is the ultimate target of sin. God is the ultimate target of sin. And what I mean by that is this. Whatever sin that you commit, listen friend, the final meaning of that sin is actually a wound that is inflicted upon God. It's a wound that is inflicted upon God. It's God who is sinless, who is holy, who can't bear it. And the sin that I commit is ultimately against Him. Sin is not, listen, sin is not just breaking the law of God. Sin is a wound against God's heart. And that is why 
He was there at Calvary as a brokenhearted sufferer, taking my sin on himself. Jesus took my place. I should have been crucified. I should have been the one that died. And listen, a lot of people don't understand this. When we preach about repentance toward God, when we preach about the necessity it is that, uh, of repentance for salvation, people say, oh, you make repentance a work. You work for your salvation. All you got to do is believe on Jesus Christ. Understand this, friend. The reason why Acts 20 and verse 21 demands and insists on repentance toward God is because sin is a wound against God's heart. Real repentance, real repentance sees and hurts over how my sin has offended God. You can't just saunter on down the aisle. Oh, I want to have Jesus. Oh, I'm going to add Jesus to my life. Oh, praise Jesus. Oh, I'm going to be saved. Praise Jesus. You can't do that if you don't feel the burden of your sin toward God. It is why the Word of God demands repentance. That's why Jesus said, repent or perish. It is feeling the guilt over what I've done and who I am and how I've offended a holy God. And my repentance toward God leads to a change of behavior. That is when there is evidence that there is no repentance, when the behavior stays the same. Romans 7, 13 teaches us that the word of God is, the law of God is there to show us what our sin is, but more than just show us what sin is, that our sin might become exceedingly sinful. Feeling the weight and the guilt of what I've done and what I am. I've offended God. And I'm in trouble with God. That's how you know if someone is ready to be saved. Or that God is really dealing with someone's heart. I was just talking with an individual not that long ago, very recently. And they were saying that they wanted to be saved. And I said, well, why do you want to be saved? Are you afraid? Are you afraid of something? And this individual said, maybe, kind of, but it's more that I feel guilt. And I said, guilt over what? And this person said, guilt over my sin before God. You know God's doing something in that person's heart when they know they stand guilty before the Lord. This is the anguish of the cross. That Jesus was holy. Jesus is God. And here he's about to take the weight of the sin of the whole world unto himself. And what would it cause? It would cause God the Father 
to turn his back on him. It would cause God the Father to bruise him. That's why Jesus, when he hung on the cross, said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He became the sacrifice for my sin, the sin bearer. He became sin for me, for you. That ought to be very humbling. Ought to be very humbling to us, friend. It was necessary for Jesus to go to the cross because there was no other way for sin to be forgiven. There was anguish in the cross because Christ was going to take on himself the sin of the whole world. But then I want you to notice the third thought this morning, the master principle of the cross. In verse 28, Jesus says, Father, glorify thy name. Glorify thy name. The word glorify means to honor. It means to magnify. And Jesus says through the cross, Lord God, my Father, would you magnify and honor your name? What was Jesus doing in all of this? Well, Jesus was yielding his will to the Father's will. It's why he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. The reason I came into this world with a body was to be a sacrifice. He would take on him the sin of the whole world. He said his soul was troubled. But he said in all of that, glorify your name. Not my will, but thine be done. The yielding of Christ to the will of the Father was that which glorified the Father. The principle by which his earthly life was ruled as he walked this world, this earth for three and a half years, the principle that ruled his life was always to obey the Father's will. And let me make this application here, friend, because one important aspect of the Christian life is the imitation of Christ. The imitation of Jesus Christ. He left us an example that we should follow His steps. And I'm saying this morning that, oh, that we would set the promotion of God's glory above any thought for ourselves, above our feelings, above our emotions, above our desires. The thing that we should want the most is that God would be glorified out of my life. And it's going to cause me to yield to His will why do we fall into sin? Why do we mess our lives up? Why do we stubbornly go after the things that we want? Because His glory is not the primary thing. Mine is. Are you understanding this? Are you understanding this? Oh, the things that we would avoid and the things that we would not fall into if the primary thing glory of God. How could I do such a thing? May this be the master principle of our lives. May this be the desire above our feelings. You know what? We are tempted because of our feelings and because of our emotions. We're tempted to deal with certain things in certain ways. Because it'll make me feel better. And we could just, we could just, you know, trim the edges just a little bit. And we can, we can fudge a little here and do a little that because 
you know what, it, it'll make me feel better if we operate this way. And we're tempted to compromise on some things because of how we feel. But if our primary aim is the glory of God, I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to skirt the corners and trim the edges off. I'm going to stay straight and I'm going to stay true because more than how I feel about something, more than that is the glory of God. And that should make me feel the most. Amen? Jesus said, glorify thy name. Magnify it. Honor it. May your will be done. I yield to it. We see the necessity of the cross, the anguish of the cross, the principle of the cross is that God would be magnified, God would be glorified. And then, fourthly, we see the triumph of the cross. Let's read on down here. 